Welcome to AMDA On The Go, your gateway to expert discussions, journal article reviews, and innovations in post-acute and long-term care. AMDA On The Go is a presentation of AMDA, the Society for Post-Acute and Long-Term Care Medicine. Statements made by guests on the podcast are their own opinions and do not necessarily reflect the position of the society. A speaker's appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them, their views, or any entity they represent. This podcast is eligible for ABPLM pre-approved certified medical director credits. Details will be provided at the end of this podcast. And now, here's our host for AMDA on the go, Dr. Diane Sanders Cepeda. Hello, everyone. Thank you for having, for joining us again, for um, um, coming to another session where we're going to talk about ageism. And today's question is really going to be around is ageism, how is that the cornerstone of our PLTC infrastructure? You're really thinking about our healthcare system as a whole. And I am joined again by um, Fatima Naqui and Cynthia Kutnart. Um, Fatima, Cynthia, can you please introduce yourselves again for our audience? Hello, everyone. So I'm Fatima, um, a medical director of post-acute long-term care working at George Washington University. Um, I am originally a family physician, but I've done palliative care as well as post-acute long-term care. And I love um, working on advanced care planning and uh, supporting my older adults and all those people who are caring for them. VA Community Living Center, and um, I am an internist, uh, geriatrician, and also certified in hospice and palliative care. I'm very passionate about uh, advocating for older people, and I care a lot about eliminating ageism in our communities. Thank you for having me. Thank you both. And we had a delightful conversation um, earlier about the culture of aging. I want to talk uh, this more about um, thinking about our infrastructure. And the question I had posed to you both is ages of the cornerstone of our PLTC infrastructure, which someone, if you're hearing it, just write your questions. In. <laughs> but I'm just I'm curious. And I want to start this conversation with the question. Um, for both of you, what does it mean to be old? So I don't think that it means just one thing to be old. I think it means something different to each person. And that's what I hope to find out when I care for different people is what does it mean to them? I think it has to do with their outlook, with what's happened in their life, um, their medical problems, their psychosocial issues, their um, social determinants of health. I think there are so many parts of aging. Um, some people might be old in number, but they might feel young, or it could be the other way around. I think the, the sky's the limit and older people are very varied and unique. And that's what makes our work always interesting. Thank you, Cynthia. And um, when I think of the word old, I mean, I, um, I see sometimes some of the teenagers say they feel they're very old. Um, and, and I wonder 
what that means. And um, so just uh, listening to you, sometimes people feel being old is being vulnerable. Uh, but again, as you're saying, really there is no definition. I feel the definition lies with you when you think about uh, what old means and more so what experiences you have had with people who were, were older, um, as you know, there are definitions as young gold, old old, and all that stuff that we have. But um, I was reading through this book, uh, Ageism Unmasked, that's written by Tracy uh, Gendron. And she said um, in one of her chapters that aging is not lost youth, but a new stage of opportunity and strength. Um, and I, that's by Betty Friedman. Um, and un, unfortunately, maybe we, all of us are not focusing on that. And we, all of us are focusing on someone who's old is more, who need us more into day to day life. So again, it's really a wide concept of what old means. Growing up for me, my uh, grandfather who was old in his eighties used to walk five miles a day. Uh, take us to the park and do everything. Even he taught my mother and my mom how to cook. So though he was old, but he was very independent and very helpful and very mobile. Um, so again, it's very variable what you think what old means. And I definitely appreciate both of the defi the definitions that you both gave. I think um, I think it is true. It is. Um, it, it shouldn't be just one thing. I, I feel like when I thought about what it means to be old, I was thinking only of the physiological changes that may happen to a person as they get older, but the state of your mind or the state of being is your own and it, it is for you to define. And even for that person who may develop um chronic conditions, they may have unfortunately suffered a stroke, maybe they have um, developed dementia, they're still alive and they're still living. And I wonder if some of the challenges that we've seen with ageism for the older population is really around thinking about that perspective. Like what does it mean to, to live and to, to be independent? I don't know what you guys think about that. Well, I think that there are changes with aging that can be difficult and make it harder for people to be independent. I think it's, um, you know, it's up to us as a society to try to make uh, the world more age friendly, but that takes money and planning and time and you know, hard to make all of those things happen instantly. Um, and again, you're looking at um, social determinants and some people may be more able to access um, help than others. So, uh, but it's my, my dream that everyone would have access to the same resources and be able to, uh, to age well and to have the help that they need uh, in the future. And I can piggyback that um, what Diane, you and Cynthia, you were talking about. I mean, the concept of homeostasis. Uh, so homeostasis is our physiological um, system that we maintain. And once after age 65 or above, 
uh, we do get homeostenosis. But then again, there have been studies that uh, they were they have been d- doing on a 90-year-old with uh, strength training, and they found that um, as old as 92-year-old um, um, patients or people in post-acute long-term care develop muscular strength. Um, so again, I think the concept uh, is very vast and variable. Uh, but again, I feel it is more of a person-centered approach in terms of someone who have had massive stroke, who has swallowing difficulty, or someone who has advanced dementia with uh, paranoia and psychosis, or someone with diabetes and chronic illnesses with multiple disabilities. For them, what is what is the meaning of healthy living for them at any age, uh, let alone older age? I think one of the wisest things I heard was someone tell me that at any age and at any stage, you may you have a goal, even if you're um, um, if it's the last day of your life, you may still have goals. You may still have aspirations and that we shouldn't discount that based off of a person's condition, age um, or anything, you know, because they're human and they may still want to do things. So I I'm since hearing that. I've sort of taken that as part of the the way I think and approach um, the people who we're serving. And I would, Diane, add um, more of a little bit of twist of uh, the cultural background I have, uh, where you know they say that um, if you if I am taking care of my grandparents or older adults that I have around me in my family, then that's how I will be treated when I am older, but the, I, that's not where I agree with, but I feel the concept of giving, uh, as they say, it's in giving that you receive. So again, it's the thought process, is really the concept uh, that ca- kind of is a self-driver for older adults. And I hope we are able to implant this concept in our youth, um, in our medical students, in the people who are caring for older adults. Yeah, I would also say that I think that our recreation therapists and activities people have a good, they have a really good handle on working with people of any ability and finding some way to bring out the positives. And um, I also had the opportunity to be part of a Montessori project for our nursing home patients. And the concept behind that is also to find people's strengths rather than to focus on their weaknesses. And so that's something that I really encourage. So you guys are bringing me to my next question. And um, because I will say that what keeps me up at night is always around infrastructure. I'm always thinking about how do we improve? What do we need to do? What what What's next? What's coming? How do we prepare? I don't know. It, it That was mm, the way I was even before pan- the pandemic, always in preparedness mode. So what is it? What is nursing home? Um, mean to the person who is getting older, what does that mean? Uh, thinking about our our nursing home when you hear that word what does it mean to that person well a lot of times people have a very negative um thought 
when they hear the word nursing home that it's just a place where people go to die or a place where people go that are warehoused. Um, my hope is that we could make nursing homes a more vibrant, home-like environment so that that culture change would happen and people wouldn't have that impression. I don't think we're quite there yet. I think we have really improved from when I first started working in nursing homes. You know, we don't tie people to chairs anymore and um, we, we don't physically restrain them, but um, I think we're still a long way from it being just like home. Yes, and I would agree with that. But when I think of nursing home, I feel like um, it's quote-unquote loss of independence. And the more we talk to older adults who are losing their strength and having more falls and forgetting things, uh, even then their worry is they don't want to leave their home. Um, but again, the connotation has changed as Cynthia, you are sharing um, two or three decades ago, there was this outpatient physician who would go visit a nursing home once a month, and that's it. But now the concept of a place where they are giving care to older adults is changing, which is a CCRC, which used to exist probably before, but uh, not aware of where they have these levels of, uh, you know, based on your functional capacity, you can be living in an independent living versus assisted living. So I do feel that concept is changing, but I don't know how much uh, general population is aware of this change of concept or the shift of this pendulum. So in thinking about what we think about the loss of independence, um, maybe the shifting attitudes, some of the shifting, the changes in the policies. Um, how does, do we feel that the meeting or the insecurity, the the fear that arises when we hear the word nursing home, how do you, how do you feel that that has shaped the policies for our um, facilities? Well, I think it was terrible in the pandemic because out of a feeling of protecting the patients, we overprotected and isolated them. And that caused a second pandemic of um, decline and, and um, failure to thrive just out of isolation. So I think we have to be very thoughtful um, and more mindful of what we're doing and moving forward to try to maintain people's emotional well-being, even if there's some kind of a crisis situation. And I don't know how we, we make that happen, but um, I, I think we have to think a lot about it in advance. And I would agree, um, but I would also add at the same time where um, in a few decades ago, all the older nursing homes or the older facilities where you have a shared bathroom with the patients and there are two or three patients or four patients in one room, that concept is changing when you see the new facilities where uh, the room is very big uh, and very spacious. Um, and but But again, I think... It's really how we are 
representing these things and as much as we are so tied with the policies and what we want to do for older adults and what we end up doing for them based on uh, the regulations, based on the availability of the resources, I feel uh, it's like East and best when it comes to what I want to do for my older adults and what I can do in the real world. Can you um, ex- um, go into that a little bit more and unpack that for us and give us an example of what you mean? Yeah, sure. So if I if I have a if I'm caring for someone who has advanced dementia um, and was an artist or maybe a retired professional um, and now or and now is going through mental challenges and physical challenges and going through, you know, um, the systemic and the system-based issues of incontinence. I mean, I would love to have someone be there for the patient, for that person, and help them and proactively look into it and prevent the fall as compared to when we have the nursing aid versus our people that we care for, the ratio of one is to eight or one is to 12. When we have a nursing aide who's going between um, back and forth between five or six people or 10 people who have advanced dementia, I don't know how much energy she or he will have to attend to the things that would help them uh, with their well-being or mental well-being or even just simple things, as I just mentioned. Um, if I could, I would have an ideal world where, or even the restrictions um, of what family can do and what family cannot do, um, what kind of food they can eat, what kind of food they cannot bring. Um, it's just, it's like a Pandora box. So, I mean, Diane, I mean, there are so many things we I would like to do for my older adults, but I am also tied with the financial constraints, with the policies, procedures, and the regulations um, that we have to follow that sometimes we're not able to do what we want to do for our older adults. Cynthia, do you find um, that as well? Absolutely. Um, I, I was particularly thinking about what you were saying about diets and how we often um, put people on modified diets and then they, because we're concerned about choking and aspiration pneumonia, and then the people don't like the consistency and they don't eat and they lose weight and fail to thrive. And then we're in a whole vicious cycle. Plus the food that is provided is often not what the person wants to eat. You know, you mentioned that you, you have you serve a multicultural population and people may want to eat the type of food that they grew up eating, but it's not available in the nursing home. And so that also affects people's appetite and um, intake. And so it's it's a big problem. And I, I agree that we, we're not always providing the, the level of care and the the personalized um, care that somebody could get if they were at home with a one-on-one caregiver. Um, and it's my my dream also to make that happen, but I can't see how that can be with the current financial situation for nursing home um, owners. And Cynthia, uh, that takes me to a real story, actually. Uh, two years ago, I was taking care of um, 
80-year-old uh, from a different culture with different language. Um, and uh, she was losing weight post a hip replacement and the son was working, so he was not there. Patient would never eat any uh, any meal, and she she was a from she was a Muslim, and eventually, when we called the son, and when I was able to talk to her, uh, um, I found out that she only eats the halal food which the facility would uh, offer if we would ask them or request them. So for a whole week, she wouldn't eat anything unless what the sun would bring in the evening. It's just simple things, but uh, just so simple things, but can add so much value if we're just mindful of those small, simple things. Yeah, I mean, thinking about a person-centered care approach, um, it will require us to know what that person wants to eat, right? What they would want, what their habits are, or what they do. And I, I, I've heard you share that um story before, Fatima, and, and it always gets to me. <laughs> it always hits me like that. This woman had a particular diet, and we weren't honoring that. I I was just going to say that that I think um, um people that have different kinds of diets like vegetarian or vegan that can be very hard to accommodate in a nursing home um and there's more and more of that now and i think looking forward um facilities need to think about that and how to provide different kinds of diets that uh people want to follow or even um gluten-free i've never really seen a good gluten-free option in a nursing home yeah, I, and, I think that, um, and I, I'll just say this and then let you continue, Fatima. I think it's hard to honor certain diets across the, the entire continuum of the healthcare system. I've had um, um, older adults go into the hospital and complain because uh, they were sitting there and they said that they had a vegetarian diet and all they were served was like broth um, because there's no options. And it is something that we need to think about and that may span every age. And but I'll stop and get off that soapbox and let Fonta look at you. <laughs> and I mean, I I am the one who started this, but I have to share this. It's not just the diet. When we think of ageism, diet is just one aspect, but also the culture. You know, the older adults that we are taking care. What culture they are coming from? I can tell you um, the country I'm from. I'm very different from a lot of people within my country. And when I go back home, they ask me, I'm from where? So again, just I was reading in uh, one of the emotional intelligence book. Um, and also Malcolm Gladwell has a new book, uh, Talking to Strangers. How we talk about like how we just when we look at somebody, we don't acknowledge our own, uh, I would say, maybe ignorance or our, uh, or our unawareness, the feeling of that we may not be aware of what this person is like, be it young or old. And I feel um, we carry this more when we take care of older adults. I don't know why. I don't have the answer. But again, it is just being mindful of that, what culture they are bringing. And if it is really a person-centered care, then my goal is to give them the culture that they had been for the last few decades. So that is what is going to bring them the well-being and help them recover quickly as compared to linger on with their illnesses. 
Do you think the cultural, um, the the lack of respect for culture is a uh, is worse as the person gets older? Um, I mean, I would have Cynthia also share what she feels, but I feel as much as we don't have any borders left throughout the world, um, we still are at the same place of not able to understand different cultures um, to a greater extent. Uh, I feel that journey starts from within. Um, If I feel I want to understand more about other cultures then and have the humility to say that I want to learn more about this person or that person and what they're coming from, then only the doors of awareness open. But I do feel maybe we have so much time constraints. I don't know if that is the case, or maybe we're just so busy that we feel, you know, sometimes we feel maybe it's just another patient. Uh, I don't want to think like this, but sometimes we are in so much time pressure that we don't even look into this, um, at what matters to this person, as Cynthia is saying. So I do feel there is an element, and I do feel it is it is getting worse, probably because of the worsening of healthcare disparities. Cynthia, anything to add? Well, I would just say that I think it might be very isolating for a person living in a nursing home that's from a different culture. Um that feels that the staff really doesn't understand their background and where they're coming from and their preferences and what their need is. And I think it would be good if we do have somebody from another culture that we try to learn something about that culture and learn from the patient and their family uh, what might be more important to them. And um, I've always found that a good way to learn about other cultures is to try some of the food. And so that might be one way to break down some of the barriers is to share some food and um, talk about what's meaningful. But again, as Fatima said, you know, we may not have enough time to make that happen. We might need to be more uh, intentional about it. I, I do think that being intentional about it is um, where uh, is very important. I do think that as in, I will say for any culture, uh, um, um, we need to be intentional about understanding what that that individual, that person who we're going to be caring for, um, needs. I, I feel that that should be a part of the care planning, um, and I think you know, I, I really. I joke about this a lot with my my own family and kids. I said, listen, I do not want to be put on an antipsychotic um, because I ask for sushi for breakfast or eggs for dinner. It is just the way that I always have been and the way that I probably always will be. And I don't want somebody to just like start poking me with needles. Um, you know, I need you guys to remember if you if I'm in a nursing home so that you don't get that call at three o'clock in the morning, let them know that it's okay that mom has always been that way. That's awesome. Uh, Diane, what you were saying reminds me of my this patient from India. She had been a teacher until she retired and then she developed dementia, unfortunately. And she always used to wake up at 4 a.m. And all the staff, we had so much psych consult and she was put on antipsychotic unless until we went through her 
um, that they would say, oh, this patient doesn't sleep and she wakes up at 4 a.m. It is, it is really, you know, I think that's the whole thing. If we're going to really do a person-centered care model and individualize the care, we really need to think about that individual. And I know that's hard with the way we make policies and the way we have regulate the regulations that we have in our facilities. But I'm wondering, you know, why do we have it that way? And I, I often think, and wonder if if some of these policies and um, procedures were grounded in ageism and, and thinking that this older adult doesn't have autonomy any longer. Something that AMDA needs to advocate for with CMS to explain that, you know, we have a more diverse aged population now and they need to think a little bit more liberally about some of the policies that we have to follow and try to be more person-centered. I would agree. And uh, Cynthia, as you were sharing your thought, you know, what came to my mind was, I think it's time for us also to unlearn few things that we have learned because of the system we are in. And also probably for us, um, on behalf of Post-Acute Long-Term Care Society to to take our uh, voice uh, to to common people also and at the state level of what we are trying to do and how give them the suggestions how we can support our older adults. I, I have an example um, from my patient population of um, a, a patient that has a rotator cuff tear and he wanted to use a heating pad, but because of the regulations, the temperature of the heating pad is is required to be so low that it really was not effective at all and the patient refused to use it so i went to check out what was going on and i realized that the heating pad was pretty useless at the temperature that was allowed so um coming up with other options would be really helpful yeah and when we were to piggyback what you're saying cynthia i feel uh, really, when I think of the concept of ageism, I feel it really um, locks us into a fear um, of our future and prevents us from living fully, um, even when we are taking care of older adults. Um, and and that kind of give not help them really live their lives as fully as they should be. Um, if we didn't have this concept at all. That's very interesting. And I always think of that, you know, from what I was taught from a young age is that you respect and and respect your elders. You, um, you know, give them a wide breath of like rooms because there there is wisdom walking. And I wonder... Um, you know, it, just in thinking of everything that we talked about, how that has been lost in why it has been lost and how do we regain it. But I, I do love the, I, the that we need to go back and start with that individual and making sure that we are we are really individualizing care. My My final question to you both is how do we create that inclusive environment in our nursing facilities currently? Um, and 
not only in the nursing facilities, but when I think about the entire continuum of post-acute long-term care, how do we create an inclusive environment where we can overcome some of the, the overcome the bias of ageism? Well, I think it's one step at a time. Um, I, I think we have to educate the people that we work with and the honor the patients and their family members and um just like you you said wisdom walking i love that that statement because um if we thought of all of our older people like that wouldn't it be so much better but um but we're only three people and um so the question is well what can we do to move this up further on the food chain and that's where AMDA comes in and other organizations that can um, make more change at a, at a federal and state level. Uh, but I think we all do what we can every day to try to help. Thank you so much, Cynthia. And I would um, probably share the same thoughts, but I would probably add that uh, every time when we have this opportunity, I think we need to reflect, think, and learn and unlearn the things that we have unfortunately learned uh, in the system because of the healthcare disparities. And um, at an overarching level, really start um, the geriatric care model, um, probably right from middle school or early on, uh, where just having um, teenagers or children or little kids exposed to older adults uh, shouldn't be enough. Really, it needs to be geared towards helping them uh, respect the older adults because of their wisdom and the time they have spent in this world. Um, and that has to start from within. Um, and then only it can go to the next level. Well, I thank you both for having another wonderful conversation. Um, you guys might get an invite to have even more conversations, so just um, beware. Uh, and thank you, everyone, for who joined and listened in to um, uh, both of the, the talks that we had with Fatima and Cynthia around ageism. Uh, if you guys have any questions, please reach out. Thank you. Have a great day. If you are a physician interested in obtaining ABPLM pre-approved certified medical director credits for certification or recertification, visit paltc.org slash podcast.